Hello and welcome to the Sister Sunday School class at Anchor Bible Church in Hull, Georgia. My name is Sharon Black. I'm the pastor's wife here. I'm not the normal teacher of the Sister Sunday School class, but um, we did a study a while back called Christianity versus World Religions. And I uh, led the class for that brief period of time in this study. We are finishing up posting the podcasts on the study, and we have two more sessions to go, so I'll be talking about that in just a moment. But I encourage you to listen to the whole series. Uh, The purpose, of course, is to equip believers to understand what other people believe and then to be able to share their faith more effectively with people who believe things differently than we do. So at no point during the study of Christianity versus world religions was the purpose to uh, make fun of any of the other groups or to ridicule or tear them down, but the purpose is to understand so we can share our faith. So um, the last session we looked at cults. What is a cult? The whole series has been um, the six major worldviews in the world today, Christianity being one of the six major worldviews, with two billion people claiming to be Christians. Uh, The second only to Christianity is Islam. And of course, if you're watching the news, there's a lot going on in the Middle East right now. Um, Islam has almost as many followers as Christianity now, 1.6 billion. Uh, When we were growing up, some of us who were in our 50s and 60s and older, um, we didn't hear much about the Muslim faith. It was still something very remote from us. And yet now you have Muslims in every country of the world, many in the United States of America. We need to understand what they believe so that we can communicate our faith to them and and win souls for Jesus. They need to be saved, too. Um, So once we got through those those major worldviews, there were a lot of questions. Well, what about Mormons? What about Jehovah's Witnesses? What about um, Hindus and, and that, things like that? And so underneath some of the umbrellas of those major worldviews, you have some very specific belief systems and some specific groups of people who um, we would call cults. Now, the definition of a cult, the one I gave you last time in the last session, is not the one you'll find in the Webster's Dictionary. This definition comes from Dr. Walter Martin in a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. My particular um, printing of this was 2003. I think there probably is an updated version since then. But Dr. Martin's book, The Kingdom of the Cults, if you are a believer and you want to understand and maybe dive more deeply into this than we're able to on the podcast, I encourage you to get a copy of The Kingdom of the Cults for yourself if you want to read more about the history of the cults, where they came from, and what they believe. So that was last time. This session and the next, I want to talk about specifically under the umbrella of Christianity, um, what is a denomination? In some of our conversations in Sunday school and in some one-on-one conversations, there's a lot of confusion about what's the difference between a cult and a denomination. And, And then among people who claim to be Christians who call themselves a Christian denomination, why do we have so many groups? What's the difference? Aren't we all, don't we all believe Jesus died for our sins? Aren't we all going to heaven? So why do we have so many different kinds of Christian churches? So that's what I want to address specifically today and on the next podcast as well, is what is a denomination and why do we have so many under the umbrella of Christianity? So here's a definition for you of a denomination. 
A denomination is any Christian group distinguished by a particular structure, meaning how the church is organized, or a statement of belief that does not violate any of the foundational Christian beliefs. So the first probably one or two sessions of this study, if you would go back to listen to those, and I encourage you to do so, we talked specifically about what do you have to believe to be a Christian? And if you don't believe these things, you cannot call yourself a Christian. Um, please go back and listen to those. But within that boundary, denominations, there are some minor doctrines, points of differences in beliefs that don't violate the foundational Christian beliefs that make denominations what they are that, that differentiate groups of Christians from each other. So before we, we dig into the different denominations, it might be important to look at a historical timeline of church history. Uh, that's a whole study in all by itself. No way I can give a crash course in church history in a 30-minute podcast. But there are a couple of key dates that will help us as we move through and look at the different groups. Sorry, I had to get a drink of water. So the first important date, the most important one, would be from about 33 AD until about 300 AD. And that is the moment that Jesus went back to heaven. You can read about that at the end of the gospel accounts and in the very beginning of the book of Acts. When Jesus ascended back into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit and he promised them he would send his Holy Spirit um, to teach us, to comfort us, to seal us into the body of Christ, to empower us, to help us to understand God's word. So that happened the moment Jesus ascended back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, having defeated sin and death. He had spent three years of his life investing in this small group of guys, well, women too, um, the 12 disciples particularly and others. And once he went back into heaven and they received the Holy Spirit, which is given to all believers, um, they went out to make disciples. They did what Jesus told them to. And there are other resources sometimes we have to look at because the book of Acts doesn't tell us exactly where each of the 12 disciples went and what he accomplished in his lifetime. Um, we have some other historical documents that tell us some of that, and we have some church tradition that tells us, but we don't know exactly where each one went and what he, or, he accomplished in that time. But for that period of about um, 300 years, 250 to 300 years, the Acts of the Apostles are the beginning part of that in the scriptures. Those people that walked and talked with Jesus, he invested in them. They sat under his teaching directly. The Son of God incarnated on earth. They went out into the world, into Europe, into Asia Minor, and they started making disciples and establishing churches. And of course, we read most of um, Paul's missionary journeys, particularly in the book of Acts. So those groups of people in Asia, in Europe, that were the first ones to receive the gospel from the disciples. And for about 250 years, they continued to grow and spread God's word. Um, that group of people is very important in our study of denominations. So um, hold that thought, put a pin in that, as my husband likes to say. Um, another key date would be 313 A.D., if you remember from the Christmas story, Rome was in charge of the world. They were the world power when Jesus was born. 
and um, they persecuted Christianity. Jesus, you know, was was crucified, and then um, the Christians, after Jesus was crucified and rose again, the Christians for many years were persecuted by the Roman government and by the Jews. And so, in 313 A.D., Constantine um, issued the Edict of Milan. Constantine was one of the the emperors of Rome. He became a Christian. Now, how devout he was and how sincere and how much he truly understood, I can't tell you. I haven't studied that historically, but he legalized Christianity. In the process of doing so, he, um, he made it kind of popular or made it easy by incorporating a lot of the Roman pagan beliefs into Christianity and established the Catholic Church. Um, so when you hear Roman Catholic Church, it's because Constantine was Roman and he legalized Christianity and the church was established. The political official Church of Rome was established in 313 AD. Um, another important date to notice is 1382. John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English for the first time. He had a burden um, because for really about a thousand years from 313 A.D. to 1380 A.D., um, the Catholic Church was the entity that was interpreting and teaching the Scripture to the common people. Most people could not read and write for themselves, and they depended on the priests. This, this period of time was called the Dark Ages for a reason. They were dependent upon the priests and the religious leaders of the times for really almost a thousand years to tell them what the Bible said. And there were many uh, corrupt leaders who told people things that weren't even remotely scriptural. Um, and so John Wycliffe was one who loved the Lord and who wanted to translate the Bible into the common language of the people, because really up until then it had just been in the original manuscripts and then in, in Latin. So um, he, was, he was killed for that, and the church as well as the government went after every single copy that he produced and tried to destroy any copy that existed of God's Word in English. Um, that's an important date, 1382. Well, fast forward 200 more years, or not quite 200 years, to October 31st of 1517. There was a Catholic priest named Martin Luther in Germany. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, Martin Luther, as a Catholic priest, actually loved the Lord and really studied His Word and was very sincere. And he looked around and realized that there were many practices in the Catholic Church that were corrupt and that were unbiblical. And so on October 31st, 1517, he boldly marched into the center of town and he nailed a list of 95 things the church was doing that were not biblical. And he nailed them to the church wall. Now to us today, we're like, well, big deal. They put a flyer on the door at the church. No, this was the CNN slash Fox News slash whatever news organization you listed this was how people got their news and information in the 1500s they went to the town square and 
and they looked at what was nailed to the wall, the, the wall or the doors of the church. That was where that was the central gathering place and where everybody went to get their information. So when he did this, that was the equivalent of, you know, going viral on the Internet now would be. He nailed this list of things that the Catholic Church was doing that were not biblical. And he was he had to pretty much go on the run after that. So um, one of the things, just to give you an example, was that the church at the time, the Catholic Church, was selling something called indulgences, which essentially was a paper that guaranteed forgiveness of your sin in advance. So say you knew this weekend you're going to do something really sinful. You go down to the Catholic Church, you pay your money, you get this slip of paper that says, it's okay, it's like a free pass. And then you go do whatever you want this weekend, but you've already got forgiveness because you've got an indulgence from the church. The church was making a fortune off of these indulgences. And this is one of 95 things that Martin Luther put on this list that he nailed to the church door. And he said, you know, this is not what God's word teaches at all. So that was a very significant moment in church history because it kicked off the Protestant Reformation, protest in other words, groups of people within the Catholic Church, which was the established church at the time, who said, this is wrong. We protest against it and we want to reform it. So the protestants and the reformers are the people who were saying these things are wrong and they need to be fixed. So that uh, was a catalyst in a lot of the different denominations that we have today. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Fast forward, oh, four or five hundred years and get to 1923 in Los Angeles, California. Amy Simple McPherson established what would now be known as the Charismatic Movement as the Pentecostal Church. Um, some of the things, the practices of the Pentecostals, Charismatics, um, those were unheard of in church history until you get to this moment in 1923. And so those two uh, people groups, those two denominations of Christians came out of uh, this time period in 1923 in California. And interestingly enough, the next date also um, is something that began in California and spread over the United States, and that is called the Jesus Movement. From the 1960s to the 1980s, there was a huge shift in church culture and um, a huge shift in music, worship music, all of that that came out of the 1960s to 1980s. In fact, there was a movie that just came out about a year ago called Jesus Revolution that sort of documents uh, a very important moment in that movement that is still affecting us now. So in the broad brush scheme of things, there are so many more things that I needed to talk about, but we just don't have time because the purpose of this podcast is, is not to give you a church history lesson. But those are some key moments that um, will play into my uh, description of the different denominations and what they believe. So the next thing I want to do is kind of take all of the Christian denominations that you might think of and kind of put them in nutshells in three kind of big categories. The first group would be Baptists and a disclaimer, our church, Anger Bible Church, is a non-denominational Bible church. It's an independent Bible church. However, I would 
probably say, and my husband, the pastor, would say, that our doctrine is more closely aligned with the Baptist denomination than, than others. Uh, we have not a, affiliated with any official organized denomination, and there are some reasons for that in our church bylaws, etc. But probably our statement of faith is going to be more aligned with this than others. So if I accidentally slip and say we, our church is not Baptist, but we do probably adhere more to this than others. So let's talk about the Baptist denomination. First of all, if this is interesting to you, you might want to go to Baylor University's website, baylor.edu, I think. There is a center for Baptist studies there. It is a Baptist university. But on their website, I found a comprehensive list of all the different flavors of Baptist that we have in the United States. And there are so many. And you've got every variation you can think of. You've got Baptists that, you know, the women can't wear pants or makeup and cut their hair. And you've got Baptists that allow you know, homosexual clergy and everything in between. So you have to look at the Baptist denomination, each Baptist church for its own pastor, its own statement of belief, and which um, Baptist organi organized denomination it aligns itself with to really get a feel for what a Baptist church believes anymore. So this is a very broad brush of where the Baptists came from originally. Um, so... We talked about that key moment in church history right after Jesus went to heaven. The disciples went out into Europe, Asia Minor, India, etc., and started sharing the gospel and winning disciples, followers of Jesus. So those groups that were spread all over Europe and Asia during Paul's missionary journeys and the other apostles carried forward all the way to today, the Baptist denomination came out of those groups. At no point were um, Baptists ever affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church. So there are some elements you don't see in the Baptist Church that you see in a lot of other denominations. Um, there was a period of time in my life, um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist Church. Um, my grandfather was the pastor. But there was a time in my later years where I was in a new town. I looked and looked for a, a church to attend. I visited a lot of the Baptist churches and the preaching was pretty weak. And I found this fabulous pastor at a Methodist church and started attending it and joined as a member. And I noticed there were some things in the Methodist church that were very different from the way that I grew up. And I started wondering, well, why do we why did we do these things here in the Methodist church that we didn't do in, in the Baptist church when I was growing up? And so now that um, I have looked more deeply into where all these denominations came from, that makes sense to me. So I'll address that in a moment. So these the Baptist denomination came directly from those original missionary journeys were not at any point affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church. However, in today's society, in the United States, in the Baptist denomination, you have, as I said, churches that are on every end of the spectrum. Particularly, you've got elements of the charismatic movement that have, in, in, I hate to use the word infiltrated, but have affected or have blended in with um, Baptist beliefs. You also have um, Calvinism, which is a whole 
doctrinal set of beliefs that really came out of the Presbyterians denomination, but you have that influence in the Catholic and the uh, Baptist church as well. So you have uh, a really wide variety among the Baptists of today, but the original Baptists, the ones that came, you know, through Europe, through um, Asia into what is now the United States historically had never been affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church. So let's look at the next group. And this next group covers most of the other Christian denominations. This covers Episcopal, Lutheran, Anabaptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic. All of those groups, Episcopal, Anglin, Lutheran, Anglican, not Anglin, Anglican, um, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, all of those groups come under the umbrella of the Protestants, those who came out of different groups who came out of the Catholic Church in different countries who were protesting against things the church was doing and who formed groups themselves because they were not able to reform the Catholic Church. They had to come out of the Catholic Church and form their own groups, establish their own churches. So the first group to talk about quickly would be the Episcopals, the Anglicans. They're the same thing. Anglican is the Church of England. And as people came over to the United States, to North America, um, the Episcopal Church is the same thing. It was just not in England. So you've probably heard this story, you may not have, but King Henry VIII was unable to have a son with his wife. They tried and tried, and he wanted a divorce so that he could remarry and have a son with a different wife. And the Catholic Church, of course, would not allow him to divorce. And so he said, I'm the king and I can do what I want and I'm in charge, so I'm going to make my own church. And so he established the Church of England which is in every respect like the Catholic Church, only he was allowed to get the divorce that he was looking for, and he did so. So the similarities between Episcopal slash Anglican and the Catholic Church are very strong because there was very little difference when that church was established, that denomination was established, other than that um, King Henry VIII got his divorce. Um, over the years, of course, just as with the Baptist denomination, uh, different individual Episcopalian churches and different Anglican churches have morphed into what they are today. And so, again, you have to sit under that particular pastor and see what he's preaching and is he following the Word of God, etc. So I, I hesitate to say this is what all Episcopalians believe or this is what all Baptists believe because um, these are just broad brush categories right now. Um, Lutheran churches, of course, came from Martin Luther originally when he protested against what the Catholic Church was doing. So the group of German believers that came out of the Catholic Church called themselves Lutherans. So that particular branch of Protestant denomination, Protestant Christianity, came out of Germany and Scandinavia. The Anabaptists, which sounds like Baptists, but has actually very little to do with the Baptist Church. The Anabaptists came out of the out of Holland, the Dutch. Um, the Presbyterians were Reformers and Protestants under John Calvin and John Knox that came out of um, England and France. And then the Methodists um, under Wesley came out of England. And then in the United States, that date that I gave you, 1923, um, the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements are uniquely American, 
and they were born out of the Methodist church. Um, so you have a lot of the denominations would fall under this category of Protestant, Protestants, reformers from um, early groups that came out of the Catholic Church. And so you've got the Baptist group of churches. And again, if you look at Baylor's website, there are many. And this, some of them are very different from one another. Then you've got the Reformers, the Protestants, which covers most of the mainline denominations you would think of, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic. And the third group, you have the Catholic Church, of course. And I've already talked about the, the history there. Um, and I'll, I'll get more into that at, uh, in our next session. So the main thing I'd like to end our podcast, this particular session of um, worldviews versus Christianity, is I want to talk about the importance of doctrine. I have had so many conversations with friends over the years who say things like, well, what's the big deal? Who really cares which way we baptize? Who really cares which way we do communion? Who really cares whether or not there are priests or pastors or, you know, how the church is organized? Um, we're all, you know, we all love Jesus. We're all going to heaven. And there is some truth to that, of course. But scripture is clear that doctrine matters. What we believe matters. And yes, I hope all of my friends from all of those denominations that I mentioned, including my Catholic brothers and sisters, I, I'm looking forward to seeing us all in heaven together and learning the finer points of what we misunderstood or didn't get right. So our, our number one goal, of course, is to trust Christ as our Savior, save us from our sin, that we get to be in heaven forever with the Lord someday. So that's that's priority number one. But scripture is clear that we as believers must search the scriptures for ourselves. We cannot depend on any pastor anywhere, including my precious husband, who I believe loves the Lord and knows his word better than anybody I've ever met. But we can't depend on a human being to tell us what God's word says and tell us what to believe. We've got to search the scriptures. Doctrine matters. Our beliefs matter. And these things are important. So I want to end this podcast with a list of verses. So I hope you'll get a notepad and I hope you'll get a pen. And I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture verses to look up for yourself. I'm going to read a few of them aloud to you. But there are a bunch that I don't have time to get to today. And I want to make sure that you dig into the scriptures for yourself and see how many times. And this is not an exhaustive list, but how many times the Bible, especially in the New Testament, tells believers doctrine matters. So here's the first one. Hopefully you're ready to write Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and gather uh, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men that's s-l-e-i-g-h-t in other words trickery by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive and y'all i'm just going to tell you some statistics that i read actually probably a decade ago that Baptists are some of the worst about being deceived into some of the cults that we talked about in the last podcast, that the number one source of recruits for some of the, the cults are Baptists because they don't know what they believe and they're deceived. We don't want to be deceived. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 is one to write down. All right, here's some more I'm not going to read to you and then... Um, 
in about six or so references, I'm going to read one to you. So write these down. Matthew 15, 9. Matthew 15, 9. The next one, Matthew 16, 12. Matthew 16, 12. Then Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Mark 1, 27. The next one, John chapter 7, verses 16 through 17. John 7, 16 through 17. All right, here's one I'm going to read to you. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is right after Jesus went back to heaven. And it says, And they, meaning the disciples, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. The apostles' doctrine. Y'all, those are the guys Jesus invested in. We want to make sure that our doctrine is as closely aligned to what we read. It's got to be in Scripture or it's not right. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The next one is Acts chapter 17, verse 19. Acts 17, 19. The next one, Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Romans 6, 17. The next one, Romans 16, 17. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. The next one, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 10. Now this next set I'm going to read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Remember Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor and challenging and warning him. So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's horrifying. And, and we are in the last days. And so this is happening in the church. All right. So stay in the same chapter. First Peter chapter four. I just read verse one. Skip down to verse six. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Good doctrine. So important. Okay, skip down. Same chapter. Skip down to verse 13. Till I come, meaning Paul, till Paul comes to see Timothy. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And then verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Those are some very strong words that Paul gave to Timothy, talking to him about the importance of doctrine. All right, here's another one to write down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, 17. The next one, 2 Timothy 3, 16. This one you may have memorized somewhere along the way. 2 Timothy 3, 16. You might even be able to quote it with me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So important. All right. Hopefully you'll remember that one or memorize it. Here's the next one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 13, 
verse 9. I'm going to read that one as well. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have to be um, diligent not to be carried away by false doctrine. All right. Then the last one is 2 John. Let me turn there. 2 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. 2 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any to you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Um, I remember from when I was growing up, my mother who was a saint and who spent lots of time in God's Word, when um, cult members would come to the door, she would tell me later, you know, after they left, I would stand at the door kind of where they couldn't see me and listen to her talk to them. And ooh, she would she would talk to them about doctrine, but she would never let them in the house. And I asked her, why didn't you just bring them in and have them sit down and give them some iced tea and then talk to them? She said, honey, the Bible says not to let them in your house. And so we talked at the door and I still remember my mother saying that. So anyway, I hope you'll look these verses up, these verses on sound doctrine and why sound doctrine is so important. So the next session, the last session of this study, well, we're going to look at what are the differences? What are those differences in structure? What are those minor differences in doctrine among Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Charismatics and all the different ones? There are um, five major differences if you look at everything they believe and distill it down into a bullet point list. There are five things that are different among these different Christian denominations, and I'm going to talk about those in our next podcast. Meanwhile, I pray for you that you will dig into the scriptures for yourself. Look those verses up. Um, Look for ways to share your faith with others. Um, Until then, God bless you, and I'll talk to you next time.